Not at all. What's the topic for today? What are we talking about today? I'd like to give some meaning to the words, the, the naming of March, because we're nearing the last few days of, um, well, it's known in English as March. In Māori, it's called Pōtū Terangi. Pōtū Terangi. And it refers to a particular constellation, which is uh, it, it has risen in the in Rafiti, in the eastern side of the skies, the horizon. Uh, it's English name, and I always get it wrong because I always pronounce English words with a Maori flavour, so I'll spell it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's A L T A I. R-T-A-I-R. Now, I would go Altari, but is there an English version that you know? <laughs> A-L-T-A-I-R. T-S. That's its English name, the constellation. Do you know what? I've never heard of it, but I'm going to guess it's Altair, but I have no okay, idea. Okay, Altair. So Altair appears in the east, uh, the northeastern side of the horizon, and its Māori name is uh, there are a number of things that are significant in terms of nature in, in this part of the world that happen from Aotearoa. The, um, there are the shining cuckoo, the pipi has is on its way to the islands east of Fiji. That's the pipi the shining cuckoo. Right, yes. And the other one is a long-tailed cuckoo, which I've never seen. I'll be really, really honest with everyone. And others may have had the good fortune. It's called a koe koe, koe koe. And it's a long-tailed um, cuckoo that also is on its way or has flown, making those long journeys to Papua New Guinea. Yep. As we speak, I would say they're definitely in flight. Mm. The, the name of this time of the year is, is, as we know, autumn, and we've just passed what is known as an equinox, the autumn, um, the autumn, autumn equinox. It is called Ngāhuru, or in the north we call it Te Ngāhuru. Ngā are huruhuru, are feathers, and at this time of the year, there are more feathers on the ground from the birds. So it's a time when the birds lose their feathers, and I can't say why. <laughs> Probably getting new feathers for winter. Yeah, that's what it is. Again, again, expertise from a non-expert, I really don't know, but that seems reasonable. <laughs> yes, so there's, there's that happening in nature, um, uh, in, in te ao, you know, te ao marama that if we bring our awareness to, we can then have some meaning around the words uh, ngāhuru, meaning this time of the year, autumn, and terangi um, is to look into the skies and you will see the altari. And also Vega. Vega is, is fan, Fanui is the name of that constellation. So those are very present at this time of the year and as far as, far as I understand then they, you know, the, the, the skies move and other constellations become become present 
um, throughout throughout the cycle. I'm I'm curious about how how the the Maori version of the the seasons and the month map on to to the Western version. And is is the month Potu Terangi? Is that was, were people calling this time that before Europeans arrived with their with their calendar and, and their months? Oh, absolutely. Right. The, the calendar was, uh, the Gregorian calendar, of course, also went through political changes. Mm. Yes, the, that's right. It was it was created by the king, uh, you know, the uh, English king of the time, and um, they did they did what they wanted really with that with that type of um, uh, seasonal um, knowledge. So the the way that it worked here was those were then indicators of what was also happening within the uh, marakai in the gardens. In they, the gardens were extensive. They weren't home gardens. You know, we see a, a garden, a marakai, with, with food growing um, as individual um, garden homes, uh, gardens at home, home gardens. So they were tribal gardens. And they were very extensive. So knowing that information was really important to then the harvest. And at this time, it, it's related to the harvesting of kumara, mm. which was a very large crop. And you had to get it up at the right time so that it would um, also be able to preserved, be preserved uh, properly and could, could last through the long winter winter months when it was damp and cold. And that so then this Potu Tarangi was okay, we've got to, you know, start to harvest mm, mm. particularly the uh kumara. And also the collecting of fibre from around for the fire, the tea coca, different um um fibres that were used for for cooking. In terms of the fires, too. So, do those words "potu terangi" do they have? They must have individual meaning. Oh, "potu terangi" is to do with the uh, the relationship of the where the distance from the Earth to the Moon and the Sun, Tamanui Tera and Marama. Po Po is a and and a particular direction way of, of navigating distances. We didn't have those um, that language around light years. They use that in astronomy. Yeah. Um, that was Potuterangi has a particular expression related to the distance. Um, so the sun, Potuterangi, uh, becomes uh, further away from the Earth. Right. And by the time we get into Pipiri, into June, it's the furthest away that it will, according to Māori astronomy, that it will ever be uh, because the, um, yeah, the, the sun. Mm. The sun. And, and, of course, that's, that's also indicative of the... The Earth, the Earth becomes colder. It becomes colder and colder. The temperatures drop. 
So there's a lot of information within those that language that has um, have those many multiple meanings for what what is possible and what needs to be done during this time. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, if you miss it, you really miss it. You know, you really miss. Um, say, or what I mean by miss, like if you do not harvest and you harvest later, that will also affect the way the crop can be preserved mm. on it, its life, its lifespan. And I don't think we appreciate in modern times just how absolutely essential that the harvest time was and getting that right. Otherwise, how are you going to get through winter? Well, yes, and if you neglect that to... Um, to follow those indications from nature, really um, what you have is is um, a path of no return. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, things will rot yeah. very quickly uh, because it also um, indicates that the land is, is not only ready to harvest, but the soil is dry, quite mm. dry, mm. and that's, that's good for harvesting kumara. Have you it's seen... Sorry to leap in there. The, um, some people, some I can't remember who did it. At Timorito, somebody up there, um, or maybe a, a collective, produced um, a short film about harvesting kumara in, in this time of year. And it, Absolutely, and it's not a short film. It's actually a very extensive um, roemi resource. It's a, it's an extraordinary piece of. Um, um, information mm. visually that's been recorded around the oh, oh and also the building of a pātaka yeah um, that was yes it's quite an extensive video um, to you know to see and to note wow gosh to see the the building of a pātaka into the side of a a hillside yeah I can't I can't remember like it's been a while since I've seen it I can't remember too much about it, but what I do remember about it was just how um, how carefully everything had to be done to make sure that the kumara was preserved and didn't go off. Um, um, it wasn't the... only for the kumara to go off, because there was still a, um, um, what do you call it, a kiori, uh, a rat that was oh, uh, yes. uh, in, in the environment. Uh, so it was also built so that it was secure from that as well, yes, and the layering of the kumara, how they were actually placed within the pātaka was very, um, and which ones were chosen to be preserved, and some were considered they would be eaten um, from the time they were dug up, and there were putapura were kept for the seed for the next year. They were called putapura, and they were a particular size, so a lot of a lot of sorting went on on the sides of the gardens, the marakai, into what would be put into the pātaka, what would go to the to the pā to be eaten, um, you know, in the months leading up to winter, and also those that were specifically being harvested or chosen for the crop for next year. Mm. Yeah. So, I- is that? Do you know if that um, documentary is available anywhere? Because people. Oh, probably... absolutely. Um, I'd say I, I will inquire to see whether Timoti Toe have that. But I, I, yes, yes, I love that 
DVD. I have a copy mm. of myself. Um, uh, it comes with an extensive, with, with beautiful um, photographs, images, too, still images of a little book, or some of the images of actually the planting of the kumara yeah. right through the whole process to the harvest, hauhake, the time of harvest. Mm. So I, I want to ask a question too about uh, Ngahuruhuru, which is, I want to call it the Māori word for autumn, but that's probably not quite accurate. It, it's, it's, I guess it's something similar. For instance, was the season, like we, you know, we say autumn starts on this day and it ends on this day, and, um, and that's autumn. Um, but how did it work in, in, before Europeans were here? Um, so the, the flight, uh, uh, migration of the birds was, was known when that would happen, and that was one of the main indicators that the, the months were, the colder months were well on their way. Mm. Those particular manu would make, would migrate um, to Papua, New Guinea, Fiji. Right. As you were saying Godwin, earlier. Godwin, the kuaka that goes to Siberia. Yep. And so huru huru, so when you when you saw the falling of the feathers, or, or not watch the feathers falling, but there were more feathers around than than before, or or throughout the other parts of the year, then you it was clear that it was um, that it was really clear that the the colder months were were right there at our door at our doorstep, and to take heed. So that's what you, you didn't um, have to wake up, turn your phone on, and <laughs> yeah, that's how you do it when there's no count. Cal- you the, the, couldn't do that; that wasn't available. Yeah, not for a few more years. <laughs> no, no, you you use what was what was available, um, and as the signs in the natural environment were very clear messages mm. that were um, observed. Um, observation was the key uh, key tool. Yeah, to, and to that's know what was around you, what was happening, and giving information around what was to be done shortly and to get on with it. Yeah. Now, I think you also wanted to talk about. Did you want to talk about planting at this time? Um, it, I had a plant, a particular one, which right. was the puro puro. Um, I think it's called Bulla uh, Bull Puro Puro. Uh, we get the name, the colour red, the colour purple, because it's actually known as Wai Puro Puro means purple. The flower, the putty putty on this, it's a large, a large bush, very attractive bush, has this extraordinary purple flower with a yellow centre. The puro puro, and um, unfortunately, the puro puro has got bad play. It's normally considered to be quite toxic, and and um, um, you know, you basically are, are, are told to take it out and and not have it in your in your garden. Is that these days you're told that? Yes, yes. There's a lot of misinformation around native. A lot of misinformation. Right. The berries, the berries are edible when ripe, 
of the porupuru. They they go a purple colour or a yellow, yellow and some purple. Right. Purple. Um, they used for for treating ulcers. Um, the leaves are harvested. Um, you know, medical herbalists use it uh, to make balms. It's for the irritation of itching skin complaints, mm. such as eczema or dermatitis. And also it was used, the leaves were um, cooked up like a tea or made into an infusion and used in, in the bar bathing. You would bathe in it for um, joint joint pain. Um, that was that was a very common common way of using the the leaves. The leaves are also used for bruising. So if you've got any bruises, it's just, um, you know you could take the plant. This information I have around used in diabetes in more recent times okay but it was known to be uh, to balance the blood sugars um poro poro taken as a tincture right and did and did people did they cultivate this or was it does it just growing readily available does it grow cultivated? As in, do you have to plant it and make sure it's there when you want it and that sort of thing, or was it you just went into the bush and found it? Um, I I have not really seen it growing in the in the bush. Um, I first noticed it in the gardens in the Hamilton Garden. Okay, there's a whole area there, and so I was aware that it was obviously uh, could be grown in the Waikato and it was available. I haven't, to be honest, seen it. Oh, yes, no, I have it, at Winery Park Reserve. Um, but they, at that time, we experienced they sprayed it all. And um, so I went, oh, why'd they do that? So they obviously thought that it was poisonous. And, and oh, oh, right, okay. There was an extensive... Um, spraying of the puddle puddle, but whether it had been planted, I don't know. In the park originally, I really, really couldn't say. But it would, it would definitely be have flourished in the um, not not so much up, up on the um, higher altitudes. Yeah, but round in the estuary areas. Mm. Okay, you've got to know where to go to find it. Yeah, yeah. Spend some time. Walking in the um, in the tracks and going off the tracks as well. <laughs> yeah. So long as you don't feel like you're going to get lost, I think that's probably a problem that we modern people worry about that we're going to get lost in the in in nature. But um, I don't imagine for pre-European people in this country that was an issue. Uh, well, they had different ways of of setting the tracks, so they knew the way back. There was um, different signal signs. Um, how do you say there were there were markers? Okay. Yeah, that was that was um, the way they travelled through the bush. So they knew their way because they used um, you know that how do you say? Oh, that well they were observant about where they were. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say before. Now we're, we're not so observant now because we get notifications on like on our phone. It tells us that now it's autumn, or that it's this time, or that we have to do this now. It's, um, I think that must be a very different mindset. Um, yes, I think it, it is. We are 
how do you say, um, continually we look for someone else to uh, feed us that information. We've become quite unaware and we also uh, perhaps we're taught to become unaware. We're actually taught that, you know, we, we don't have to, we don't have to go out and find out for ourselves because somebody else will tell us. An expert, <laughs> an expert or someone, an authority will tell us. Yes, yes. We don't take that, I call it the sovereign power, so easily. Mm, mm. Um, we, we're certainly going through a big experience around that. <laughs> you know, over these past two years, yeah. is just one example, but of like saying, well, actually, I need to think about this for myself, and I used to need to make, you know, and and make decisions and and see signs around me that indicate what's really going on. Yeah. Um, otherwise, we do tend to rely on external sources to feed us. And that may only be a, a small piece of of information, but we seem to be quite happy with that <laughs> in some ways. Well, there's a, there's a big discussion we could have around that, and it's a discussion I, I always like to have, but I'm going to hold back because um, I have another interview coming up in a few minutes about um, <laughs> glo- about greenhouse gases and food waste and stuff like that. So a different thing, but another important thing. So. Absolutely. Thank you for really your time important. this morning, Ananoa, and and I'm excited to say you'll be invited to the studio next time we we have an interview. Yes, yes, beautiful. I yeah. look forward to that. Yeah, much better that way. I like it. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, look. Thank you for your time this morning, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks.